Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're talking about your 14 and 46 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about what we want to see from these Pistons' last 20-ish games of the season, Dwayne Casey's plan for Isaiah Stewart, Cade Cunningham winning the Clorox Rising Stars Challenge MVP at All-Star Weekend, and Jumpy Jump Guy Marvin Bagley III. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Hey, Laz. Good to be back. Nice to have a break. But uh, the season goes on, and so do we. Yeah, we. the season is almost over, though, and so are we. <laughs> uh, obviously, we took, a, we took a weekend off for the All-Star break. Uh, we missed... Uh, any of any and all of the uh, all-star occasions uh cave one all-star game uh or rising stars wait, wait, wait. clorox rising stars uh mvp i believe clorox was a sponsor of the game does that mean anything to you ben did you watch did you care <laughs> i did not watch live i i'm a very much a, a highlight watcher when it comes to all-star game i'm just not a huge fan of kind of how the entire all-star weekend has kind of evolved and I guess mm-hmm. maybe devolved. I don't know. Is this a get off my lawn old man sort of moment? <laughs> I'm not sure, but no, I mean, it's cool. Good for Cade. I think, um, you know, the thing, the comment that I don't remember where I heard or saw this, but I thought was interesting was um, all of the young guys on Cade's team seem to, seem to sort of naturally defer to him. Right. So like this leadership quality that he has uh, seems apparent, right. And, and I think that's great. I think that's it's awesome for him to get, obviously, the recognition of winning the MVP, but also to see, uh, you know, some of those leadership qualities and some of that maturity that we've seen as Pistons fans uh, get recognized on a broader stage. So so that's cool. Congratulations to Cade. No, for sure. And that's something that you we've seen back to high school with Cade, right? Back to his days in Montverde playing with, you know, other Rookie of the Year candidate, Scotty Barnes and, uh, you know, I believe Moses Moody was a lottery pick. I think he was 14th and is, you know, playing on a high school team with other NBA, future NBA players. He was still very much like the leader and a point person for that team. And it's interesting to see that uh, continue over at all-star break. And obviously we also want to shout out uh, Isaiah and Sadiq's contributions to uh, the rising stars challenge. Uh, both of those guys acquitted themselves pretty well from what I saw from the highlights. It's like, uh, I was pretty pleased to have those guys there uh, as well. Um, well, you know, with that past us, Ben, the season is two thirds over. Um, we are almost free from our prison. Uh, what do you, what do you want to see in the last like 20 ish games of the year from this Detroit Pistons team? 
Yeah, well, first and foremost, I mean, let's let's maintain our our lottery odds, right? Let's finish in the bottom three. We've come this far. Let's not. Very true. <laughs> but yeah, I want to see some of the young G League guys. Honestly, I mean, Livers, Saban, and a little bit more of Luca Garza. Maybe over the last ten games or so, I'd like them all to get a shot. Particularly Livers, we've seen very little of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondarily, Saban. I feel like you know we can just shut Kojo down and give Saban those minutes when we get to the tail end of the season and Luca like why not like (laughs) we're not trying to win anyway let's give him a shot let's give him a little bit of an extended look to sink or swim um and and also I would say let's let's shut down Kelly Olenek he does not look good right now since he's returned from injury slash COVID it's been rough for Kelly so I I almost say just shut him down and let him get healthy and and we'll see where he ends up yeah I was I was hopeful that the the week long break from the All Star break would uh, would help in that department, right? And yeah, you're right. Even even these last couple of games uh, after the All Star break, he's been uh, very much like a shell of himself, and so that's that's been tough to see. Um, I want to see more competitive losses like the ones they had against Boston. I feel like those are we we spent the you know, coming into the all-star break, there was the Boston win, but before that was the a nine-game losing streak and the huge point differential in the negative for the nine-game losing streak and very much the sense that this team was not uh, as competitive as they had been like last year in, in the same position. Maybe a similar position from a wins and stand, uh, losses standpoint, but, uh, you know, way, way worse from a point differential standpoint. Um, and then they come out, after the all-star break, they win a game against Cleveland. They play a close competitive game against a, uh, a Boston Celtics team that obviously like they had beaten before the all-star break, but it's like, you know, on the, on the rise in the Eastern conference. And I would like to see more of that, right? Like, yes, maintaining the draft position is extremely important. Uh, but I would like to see uh, some more close games from this Pistons team to close out the year. Um, and to your point about the young guys, like they still have an open roster spot, right? Like after after the Marvin Bagley trade, they opened up a roster spot. They haven't used that yet. Um, it's been hinted that uh, their two way player uh, with the Motor City Crews, uh, Chris Smith, will like take up uh, some of that uh, roster spot maybe towards the end of the year. Um, there are you know a plethora of young dudes in the G League who, when the G League season finishes. You can you can bring up and play for the last like seven eight games, um, and so I would like to see them uh, towards the end of the season like use every opportunity to explore, you know, some of these other uh, young talents like around the league, and, and see who like who fits alongside Cade because like that's going to be uh, that's the most important thing we're trying to figure out like as the as towards the end of the season it's like who can play on this team with Cade next year basically. Um. What else happened? Uh, we should talk about Marvin Bagley. Uh, in his four games since the trade, he's averaging 11 points and five rebounds. He's shooting 51% from the floor, or 51% from, yeah, 51% from the floor, 17% from three, and 45% from the line. But, uh, you know, only, only one and a half threes per game. So that 17% number is just like he misses the three he takes per game, and I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, he's he's been he's been uh he's been effective in his role so far, Ben. What what have you thought about him? What do you thought about, you know, the the lineups we've seen him in? We've seen him paired with Stewart, we've seen him paired with Olenek, we've seen him playing center by himself. Um, you know, what 
what are your thoughts about the Marvin Bagley experience to date? Well, they're certainly exploring, right? Feeling yeah. out all of his strengths and weaknesses. And I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I think he obviously just from a fan and entertainment perspective, he has this entirely new dimension we haven't seen really since Plumlee was traded, I guess, which is even weird to say, but mm-hmm. sort of that vertical lob threat, right? Um, that's the obvious thing. He he seems to be pairing well with both Killian and Cade. Um, you know, Cade has had some really sweet, sweet passes to him in particular, which is just a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, theoretically, he gives you some floor stretch, although we haven't necessarily seen that so far. Um, but I, I've also seen, you know, like he had a really nice take against Cleveland uh, from the perimeter going all the way to the basket. So he gives you a little bit of offensive versatility that hasn't been there from the four position on the bench unit anyway. So, um, you know, look, I, you know, I don't know if he's a starter on a playoff team. He's still really young. He's got some time to, to figure that out. And the Pistons fortunately do as well. Uh, but I think as an archetype, right, like a big man who can, who can jump, who can embrace that role, who will uh, rebound the ball, like that sort of player archetype makes a whole lot of sense next to Cade Cunningham. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us understood this intuitively, but man, it's it's really refreshing to see it from a, an entertainment perspective, and I think hopefully opens and unlocks some stuff for Cade Cunningham, uh, take some of the pressure off him, especially if gets in the paint. Because if the defense has got to worry about a lob threat and Cade finishing, it's a whole lot more difficult if they than if they've just got to focus on Cade finishing, right? So clearly a roster deficiency, and Bagley's doing a solid job so far of stepping in and filling that. No, absolutely. I think. The, the word I keep coming back to with Marvin Bagley is sustainable, right? When you look at his, uh, you look at his highlights, you look at the, the scoring numbers he's put up uh, so far in these four games, um, he's not hijacking the offense to get these shots, right? He's not saying like, oh, hi, uh, like, oh, hey, like, let me, I need to get paid this offseason. Let me come in and try and score 20 a night to the detriment of like these other guys because getting scored because scoring is what will get me paid. He's very much uh, fulfilling the role that he is like had been asked to play and uh, he's doing it well. He's doing exceptionally well. Um, And I think that that's a credit to him and uh, a credit to the, the new situation he like finds himself in. Um, And like, that's, that's something that we should uh, we should hope like maintains itself. Um, it's also making me think about like down the road, right? Like if, if is if he is content to play this role and effective in this role, it's like, uh, is he a long-term piece for this team? And like, what kind of contract is that going to, uh, what kind of contract is that going to demand, uh, this upcoming off season? Right. Um, we talked about, I, I talked about him, like not, um, hijacking the offense to get paid i'm sure he would still like to get paid but like how how valuable i guess is a is a bench scoring uh big man type you know the the pistons did just kind of let christian wood go for uh what it was like 14 ish million a year if i if i'm remembering correctly uh, marvin bagley is very much like a worse performing version of christian wood uh so far and so uh, i do kind of wonder you know if he can be kept around in that like five, six, seven, eight million dollar a year range. Um, if he's content with that, like I think that would be a steal. Or I think that would be like a, a good deal for the Pistons. You you look at the um 
the similar trial run that they did last year with Hamadou Diallo and how that's worked out for them with Hami on a, a short, a short deal, but only at $5 million a year. And he's, he's played up to the level of that deal. I think he's played beyond it. And so you, you hope to get equally like an equally good uh, contract hammered out with Marvin Bagley, the third uh, as well. Um, what do you, th- what do you think of the Bagley Stewart pairing that we've seen so far, Ben? That's been, something that I initially wasn't a huge fan of, but they continue to go to it and it seems to be not as bad as I thought it would be. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if maybe they're thinking a little bit about what a lineup without Jeremy Grant looks like. I mean, Mm. we did see, we did see in the Cleveland game down the stretch, sort of that jumbo lineup where I think it was Sadiq and Jeremy at the two and three, and then the two big guys. And I'm not sure how well that worked. I mean, they, they let Cleveland back into the game. I don't know if you can attribute that just to that big lineup, but um, you know, I think on paper, theoretically, some of this works. Um, we're going to talk about Isaiah Stewart in a minute, which I we got some interesting news about him from James Edwards III this week, um, which is going to be worth talking about. But if Stewart can develop some semblance of a mid to long range jump shot, um, then I think it makes a lot more sense for the two of those to to be together because you're really thinking about Bagley as the pick and roll guy in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And Stewart as a non-shooter just kind of clogs things up and gets in the way. Right. Um, so I, I think that part of Stewart's game would, would need to continue to evolve more than we've seen in his second season for this to be viable long-term. Um, but I think theoretic, theoretically it can work. The other thing I sort of like about it is you get two guys out there who can offensive rebound. Yes. Um, I mean, offensive rebounding is, not super popular these days, right? Like it's not a a thing a lot of teams focus on, but I think some of that has actually happened, right? We've seen some of that. So um, Pistons miss a lot of shots. So (laughs) having a couple guys go get them is not necessarily a bad thing. So I I think you got to try it and you got to hope that Stu's skill set, you know, continues to develop. No, for sure. I, I love the point about the offensive rebounding because that is, that is something that I noticed and, I think that's like one way to alleviate the spacing concerns is to just get the extra possessions by attacking the offensive glass. And both of those guys have the freedom, both uh, Bagley and Stewart, like have the freedom to to crash the glass when they see fit. Um, And like the, the transition defense is terrible anyway. So if, if you're, you know, if you're throwing extra bodies at the glass, I'm fine with it. It's not like you're, you're missing much on the other end. Um, But you, you talked a lot about how, the that pairing worked uh could work theoretically offensively um i'm going to talk about the defense i think that's a really interesting um pairing defensively because of the like the switching that they've been utilizing so far like they've done um they've done a, a lot of switching isaiah stewart out onto the perimeter and so uh, and something like you've talked about ben is your frustration with jeremy grant's inability or like a lack of rebounding um, and so having a guy who can uh, crash the defensive glass after Isaiah Stewart uh, like is able to force a miss on, on a switch is something I think that like that is the something the Pistons need more of. And I thought was part of the reason why that that pairing looked like it could work defensively. Um, and obviously, you know, you don't want Bagley to be the point of attack guy in a drop defense. Like that's, that's not where he's, that's not where he's best utilized defensively. So having Stewart be able to uh, 
be the guy that takes on switches, be the guy that takes on the tougher defensive assignments and lets Marvin Magley kind of roam a little bit more and uh, just attack the defensive glass, I think is uh, plays to both of their strengths uh, defensively. The only thing I worry about is um, like Stewart was really good as a defender around the rim last year. And the more they kind of leverage this switching scheme, the, the less we see of that. And so I do, I would like to see a little bit more uh, drop out of Stewart, but it's like, as long as they're going to play this style of defense, um, I think like that, that defensive pairing can, can definitely work. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Stewart. Uh, so we got, you, you mentioned earlier, we got some interesting uh, quotes from Dwayne Casey uh, earlier this week about how uh, a lot of fans have been wondering about, you know, the deprioritization of Isaiah Stewart's like three point shot uh, in the offense. Uh, Stu, of course, he like made a three this week. So of mm-hmm. course, like as soon as they say this, he he goes out and he takes one and makes one. Um, but Dwayne Casey talked about how they wanted Stewart to focus more on building his game from the inside out, as opposed to from the outside in, and focusing on what he could do to make his interior game more effective. You know, after after that quote, we've definitely seen an uptick of uh, like like. Well, I've been calling it the Bane seal, like the Tice seal. The uh, Marcin Gortat was another guy who was really good at this. Where as as your you know, as your teammates driving, you just kind of uh, set an off ball screen for the help defender who like would normally come in and challenge the shot. And it's like, oh, that guy's not there, so I just finish at at the basket. Stewart did this multiple times to get the Celtics to get Cade some layups. Um, I was a huge fan of seeing that, and I hope we we get to see more of that. But yeah, Ben, what did what did you think of Dwayne Casey's comments about uh, Stewart's game from the inside out? Well, first and foremost, I was just really glad to have some clarity from the coaching and strategy perspective. This is something I've kind of been beating my head against all season. Why is Stewart not shooting the basketball? Right? Is mm-hmm. this a lack of confidence? Um, is it Stu just choosing not to take them? Or is there some coaching strategy happening? So regardless of opinions on whether this is the right track for Stewart, for me, it was nice just to have some clarity from the coaching perspective that, yeah, this is, in fact, an intentional strategic decision that we're making and is directly related to our plan for his development, right? So just that in and of itself, that little bit of knowledge was uh, super exciting to me. Um I guess I'm, I find it a little bit surprising, although I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, the big men in the NBA are trending towards almost needing to be capable of spacing the floor, right? I mean, it's a very much a guard and perimeter player dominated league right now. Um, so it's a little bit surprising to hear having him focus on his interior scoring, taking precedence over the, the perimeter scoring, um, I, you know, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but I'm I'm glad it's intentional, I guess, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, you mentioned the screening, um, you know, whether those get counted as a screen in NBA tracking when you're you're sealing a guy off, who knows? But I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, they jumped, it leaped out to me um, in the fourth quarter against the Celtic games at least twice where Cade um, basically got uncontested layups, right? Like, I mean, he beat his guy. And Stewart just did a fantastic job of, of sealing, um, you know, sealing the help defender. So Kate just didn't have any, didn't get challenged at all. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, that jives with 
the idea of having him focus on the interior, right? Because if you've got him floating around the exterior, he can't do that. <laughs> and I think, too, to Stu's credit, um, you know, he had a really rough start to the season, but I think he's starting to round into form a little bit. Um, we've had a double-double recently, close to double-doubles. Um, I feel like he's starting to find his footing a little bit this season. Fortunately, it's two-thirds of the way done, but it gives me some hope and some optimism that there's still a development trajectory left for him to keep exploring next season, right? Like he's not bottoming out or plateauing as a player, right? I, I think that's yeah. the, the most important takeaway for me from this news about Stu. Yeah. It It is good not to – it is – you're right that getting clarity from the coaching staff that this is intentional on their part is big because it was – very much like are we just limiting what Stu is like should we should we mentally like limit ourselves to only what he's been able to do over his first two seasons despite the fact that he's like 22 years old like is he done developing at 22 it's kind of a big question and the answer appears to be no thankfully um the other thing that I've been thinking about with uh like with Stewart's recent level of play uh like you mentioned he's a been really effective as of late he was the he was the Pistons second best player in that first quarter against the Boston Celtics he was everywhere on on both ends of the floor and it really um it really impacted how 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 they were able to start that game off on a, on a really high note is um but the other thing I've been thinking about is like as we kind of mentally turn ourselves to the draft and start start thinking more about the draft prospects uh, the Pistons could have a chance to select at the top of this year's draft Obviously, the three uh, most the the three highly thought of draft picks at the top of this year's draft are all big men, right? And so it's like if if you are you know fortunate enough to get a high lottery pick and select one of those guys, you know what does that mean for Isaiah Stewart's role on the team moving forward? Um, some of those guys, is, you feel like he could be effective next to all three, but uh, you know if he's only going to be thought of as like an inside uh inside guy is like that mm, that that limits the i wouldn't want to pair all three of those guys with uh, a guy who's only uh doing what isaiah stewart currently does but if he's able to continue being you know an offensive threat uh in this way in this and uh setting these highway screens if he's uh if the perimeter shot is something that they're going to continue working on in the off season and something that, um, you know, next year he might get more opportunities to do. It's like that definitely opens up the, uh, the possibilities for who, uh, you know, fits next to Isaiah Stewart um, in a, in a lineup, like around Cade Cunningham. Right. Because like, that's, again, that's all that's the, the main thing that matters is like who fits with Cade, but uh, Stewart looks like he's going to be here for the long term, And so, you know, not having like Cade and two centers on the floor, I think is, is probably a good thing. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is you, you mentioned the, the center position being uh, more focused on like perimeter play. And like, I def, I definitely agree with you, but I do think that we've seen, um, we've still seen that centers can be effective um, if they're able to, uh, like operate out of the short role, and if they're able and willing to like set like the those high level screens around the basket. I'm thinking in particular of of Stephen Adams, who you know is having a much worse like for like for the Grizzlies. Stephen Adams is having a much worse statistical year 
than Jonas Valanciunas like had for them last year in terms of like points and rebounds. But this year with the, you know, Valanciunas demands a lot of post touches. He wants to shoot threes now with like, and he's able to make them, which is good. But um, without like that extra pressure or, or demand offensively, like uh, Steven Adams is just like willing and able to use his body to clear the runway for John ja Morant. And John ja Morant like now leads the league in points in the paint as a six, three guard. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, a lot of that is due to his hyper athleticism. Yes. A lot of that is due to transition buckets, but uh, like Steven Adams is a is like a part of the reason why he's able to do that in half court and and so you can still and you know the grizzlies are having a lot of success as a team and so you, you can still have a center who does the dirty work and is part of a successful team even if that guy is not producing like super heavily statistically well yeah and i think phoenix is another fantastic example of this they pretty much roll with a traditional center and both are starting in reserve units right i mean Obviously, I don't think you can say those centers are the, the main reason they're really good, although Aiden yeah. is obviously fantastic. But I agree. I think I also think, too, whenever there's a meta, there's an opportunity for an anti-meta or a counter-meta. So I, I love big men, always will, the big men who relish being bigs and do it well. I mean, there's always room for a guy like that on my team. No, absolutely. The... Other thing I wanted to talk about with you, Ben, was uh, was Cade. We've kind of talked around Cade. We talked about him at the top um, with, with the Rising Stars thing. But, he, you know, he's played pretty well in the two games uh, coming out of the All-Star break. He, you know, we talked a lot about his uh, struggles to be efficient offensively. You've talked a lot about his, uh, his shot choice, um, like, earlier this season. It's like in the two games the Pistons have played post All Star break, Cade attempted uh, ten free throws in the win over Cleveland, which I think um, was uh, if that's not a career high in free throws, it's like very close to it from from Cade Cunningham. And in the uh, loss to the Boston Celtics, uh, like we mentioned, he was able to finish around the rim thanks to the Stewart screens. He was scoring at all three levels. Um, so. It's, what are we looking for in the progression of Cade's game, I suppose, over these last like 20-ish games? Yeah, I, Cade was a joy to watch this week. Um, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well against Cleveland. But, man, you know, I've harped on getting to the line as a way to sort of redeem poor shooting performances. That Cleveland game is just the perfect example. I think it's four for 16 from the field, but still managed to get 16 points, right? Like, And that's precisely because he was able to get to the free throw line. And then, of course, it was great to see that free throw shooting hold up in crunch time, right? Like, I mean, he took a few free throws late that essentially sealed the win. And you know what I was thinking about, last during that game as Cade was sealing the game from the free throw line? The Pistons are usually on the flip side of that, right? They're usually the team fouling, not the yep. team being fouled. Mm-hmm. So seeing the Pistons ahead and watching Cade being able to rack up those points and seal the win was a, was just fun to watch, right? Like, so you hope there's more of that in the future. Um Boston, man, he was an absolute joy to watch. Um, you know, one for six from three, but 10 for 13 inside the arc. That's ridiculous. Or maybe it's not one for six. Maybe I got that wrong. But 10 for 13 from inside the arc, I'm, I'm pretty sure about. He scored about a point a minute, right? He played 27 minutes, had 25 points. And wow. I mean, the diversity that he showed inside inside the arc was was incredible. I mean, he he's really good at making hard stuff look easy. I absolutely love to watch Cade 
when Marvin Bagley is rolling to the rim. He had that one lob pass. I don't know if you recall, but it was almost like an underhanded one-handed scoop lob. And mm-hmm. if you're the defender, like one of the things Cade goes to inside when he gets to the rim is sort of that one-handed scoop finger roll finish. So you're, you're guessing, right? Like, is he going to shoot this or is this going to be a one-handed lob to the big man? And that was a lot of fun to watch. And then the mid-range jump shot was just pure, right? And I thought Cade's decision-making about when to take the mid-range shot because it was open versus when to press and get all the way to the basket was was perfectly on point. And uh, look, the mid-range, I think, is sort of being rediscovered right now as, as the NBA really moves towards threes and freeze and two, uh, sorry, threes and layups, right? Still the most efficient shots, but the mid range, if you're a dynamic mid range scorer, you know, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, to some degree does this, um, you you know, there's an opportunity to exploit that shot strategically. Don't over rely on it, but, but exploit it. DeMar DeRozan, another guy who does that to great effect this season. So yeah, I was just super impressed with his shot selection and choices, particularly uh, in the Boston game, just, um, you know, that's the kind of performance where like, is Cade going to be great or just really good that, that Boston game, man. I mean, he, he was great in that game. Uh, and it, it's just, it's so much fun to watch last. Absolutely a blast to watch. No, the, and it, they lost that game. I think they lost the game by nine. He was a plus five in this minutes. It's hard to, to do that on a, on a quote unquote bad team to be the only guy with a positive plus minus in a, in a game you almost lose by double digits. Well, and like um, you think about the foul trouble, like yeah, the Pistons lost the game in the fourth quarter, right? I mean, it was competitive all the way through, and Cade had to sit so much of that fourth quarter because of picking up that fifth foul, right? I mean, they put him in with four fouls. He got the fifth one almost right away. And look, without Cade, the Pistons just didn't have a chance against Boston. He was that impactful, right? No, absolutely. And – the I was going to mention the foul trouble because that was really frustrating to me, and I think that's something that he definitely needs to clean up. Um, he's he's picked up two quick fouls in a lot of games this season, um, and what frustrated me against Boston in particular was that um, after he picked up two quick fouls, they left him in the game, and he immediately like on consecutive possessions like executed plays defensively that like easily could have been the third foul and just wasn't called for it. Um, A lot of like a lot of reaching, a lot of arm slapping. Um, And it's like, that is something that he's going to have to learn. Uh, Like, like you said, if he's not in the game, the Pistons like don't have a prayer of winning some of these games. And so is, you know, as a, as Jalen Brown is like coming down the lane and you're, you know, your strong side, like, yeah, you can help, but like, you don't have to slap at his arms. Right. And, and so I hope he gets more cognizant of that as like the season goes along and as uh, he goes along in his career, because the Pistons really, really need him on the floor. And like you said, they, they lost the game essentially because he didn't, he was unable to play um, or they, they took him out between like the seven or like the, what, like the 10 minute mark and the seven minute mark. And they like, lost the game basically as soon as he uh, picked up his fifth foul. Yeah, and, you know, look, I've been critical of Cade and some of his turnovers, right? But considering that he's still such a young rookie, like, the, I think you pointed this out on Twitter. Cade does that little spin move and just sloppily loses the ball, right? It's not because mm-hmm. someone knocks it away. Like, it's those kinds of turnovers that he's got to just break some of the habits because he was so 
so capable of dominating in high school and college, like you develop these bad habits because you can get away with it. Right. So it's, it's, it's going to take a while. You have, you can't just break habits overnight. It's the same thing defensively. I noticed the help reaching and slapping as well. I think you're smart to point that out. Those are, those are the things that you've, you've had a lifetime of building those habits. You've got to, you've got to take a lot of time to force yourself not to do those things. It doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, when I evaluate Kate as a whole, those are the things where it's like, yeah, in time, those are going to disappear. And those little changes are going to actually, I think, make a pretty big difference uh, for what he's able to accomplish. For sure. And, you know, also part of that will be as he continues to like raise his profile, as he gets more popular uh, as an NBA player and as the team uh, wins and he's a big reason why the team wins, he'll probably get called for for less of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Sad to say, but that's that's the reality we live in. Well, and that's going to cut both ways because, I mean, he did get bumped on the drive too against Boston a couple of times, especially in the second half where very easily could have been and probably should have been a call. I think you're right. He's going to get some more of those star calls uh, as his as his name gets a little bit more respect on it. I think. No, absolutely. All right, Ben. The uh, this is not no big deal. Uh, Pistons are are bad. They're at the top of the draft uh, in terms of lottery odds. Um, I want you to start thinking about uh, draft stuff. We're going to do some draft stuff for uh, for the people in the future. Um, we're going to have some guests. We're going to talk to some people. We're going to envision uh, what this team would look like with uh, a lot of different prospects on it. And so, like, get ready for that. That's coming, guys. I know uh, I kind of joked about it on Twitter. It's like now it's, you know, it's like I need to start counting the tankathon spins again. But no, like that, that is something we plan on doing for the podcast in the not too soon future. So keep your eyes out for that. All right. Uh, ben, it's like, they won. They won two consecutive games. They did, so that yeah. that's something to be positive about. What was your your one positive thing for the Pistons this week? Well, it was going to be Cade, but we talked about Cade a lot already. He was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching him this season. So instead of Cade, what I'm going to say is uh, it's not necessarily uh, directly related to on-court production or play or anything, but uh, I'm going to talk about jerseys, Laz. I feel like we got to talk about the jerseys. Let's do it. First of all, uh, the red uh, home jerseys with the blue lightning bolts, man, those jerseys are beautiful, <laughs> and I wish they would wear them more. I think it's a throwback to a forgotten era for most of us who are currently watching the Pistons. Uh, we saw the going-to-work crew wear the white and blue lightning stripe jerseys way back in the day, but I think those... Uh, the red with the blue lightning bolts are just absolutely beautiful jerseys. They ought to wear them more. And then Teal. Laz, Teal is making a comeback. Um, look, I, I think you embrace your history. I don't love the Teal jerseys as they were. So I would like to make like a slight adjustment proposal. I would love to see Teal with just black and white. Like cut out that maroon, cut out that gold. To me, that's the thing that makes those jerseys so polarizing the teal in and of itself though if you can shade it a little bit more blue like shade it a little bit more blue and then cut out the maroon and gold with just black and white i think that would look super clean um but look i'm excited to have the teal back either way even if they just bring it back whole cloth um i think one of the conversations that was happening on the internet this week was how bad those teal pistons were but actually like that's not totally correct those teams actually had some pretty solid seasons 
And uh, one of the comments I saw, I think this was on Twitter, that I thought was really insightful was, you got to make this team wear teal so they can earn the championship red, white, and blue. (laughs) And I thought that that was pretty pretty insightful and pretty, pretty clever. But I'm excited to have the teal back. That that Cade number two jersey and teal is gonna sell like crazy. So yep. yeah, I'm 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 just glad. I'm glad we're seeing the teal. It's gonna bring back some teenage nostalgia for me. That I was a teenager during those years. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for that, Wes. I'm I'm glad you're excited. I'm not <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the teal. I I am more of the mindset that the the teal years do kind of represent uh a lower point in Pistons history, but as several people have pointed out, right. The, the post, uh, the post like 2008, uh, years for the Pistons were in actuality from like a wins and loss perspective, much more bleak than the teal era. And that doesn't make me feel any better, but it's, it's correct. So I have to acknowledge that. Um, I will say though, that like, it's like we. I was like, "Oh, Kate is this revolutionary player. That jer- that teal jersey, that teal number two jersey, is going to sell a whole whole bunch." And I, I'm excited about that. But um, if we're watching another high Pistons draft pick uh, carry a team to underperforming levels in a teal jersey, <laughs> not going to be a huge fan of that. It just might be cursed. You might you might not got to do that. And so uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. But no, I think. I am glad that they are embracing their history. I do think that um, I do think that the red, white, and blue is like a really common color palette across the NBA. A lot of teams have like a lot of some number of red, white, and blue like in their team colors, and so I do think it is good to be a little bit different. Um, I just I just don't really love the teal, but like I'm I'm willing I'm willing to go along with it, right? Like we'll we'll see how much Chance loves his like little tiny Cade uh, Cunningham teal jersey. <laughs> I love it. Well, they're going to have to wear those on the road too, right? Like, look at the way the court True. was designed this year with all that Pistons blue everywhere. I don't think you can throw teal next to that unless you, like, tweak the hue more towards a blue teal. Um, and I don't think we'll see a ton of the teal, but yeah, I yeah, I, I'm excited for it just from a from a history and nostalgia perspective. So when when the baseline is teal, I'm blaming you. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right ben uh the pistons we are recording on sunday obviously like we always do the pistons play the hornets later today can't wait to lose to the hornets again that will be so much fun uh they play in washington against the wizards on tuesday they play in toronto against the raptors on thursday and what will assuredly be another win for the Dwayne casey owned raptors and then they have a home game against the new look the completely uh revamped indiana pacers on friday uh man this this doesn't look like a bad week of basketball actually yeah i agree um i'm curious to see where washington's at i've kind of been following from a distance what they're doing um toronto needs to win right they need to win every game they can to to push for the playoffs i'm also blitzed by the hornets actually so i was very surprised to see where, where they're at going at yeah and i'm i'm really anxious to watch indiana actually um seeing what halliburton's been doing um since the trade has, has been something else. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this week of basketball, even if the Pistons don't win, uh, I'm interested to see what some of these other teams are doing. For sure. Halliburton has been really, really productive statistically, but the Pacers have been really bad 
and the the you know as Miles Turner isn't playing and you know as they traded Sabonis and uh, they've done a lot of stuff around their roster they're playing like a couple G League guys right now like it's not surprising that they're not playing well um, but it is kind of surprising that he's been as productive as he's been I think he had like a forty point night the other night which is which is crazy to think about um, yeah I'll be I'll be really interested to see the the Cade Tyrese Halliburton matchup I think that'll be really fun to watch. Um, I, I hope Porzingis plays in that Washington game. I'm, I'm really curious to see what that Washington team looks like, uh, with Kristaps Porzingis, like in the fold. Um, KP is a really good player when he's on the court. And so, uh, you know, that, and that was a very, very weird trade to happen at the, at the deadline. So I'm curious to see how that plays out for both sides. Um, yeah. That's basically it. Uh, all right, Ben. We're 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 gonna finish before noon, which is weird. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, the whole rest of my day is free. I get to I get to eat shikshuka uh, with my friends. I'm excited about that. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find your work, where we can uh, where we can talk about the Pistons. Yeah, at br golker on Twitter. You can always find me there. Been diving into the comments a little bit last week at DetroitBadBoys.com. There were some fun conversations. Uh, about stats, about Cade Cunningham, about what those stats do and don't tell us and what they can and can't tell us. So, uh, yeah, I've been making a concerted effort to to try to jump in and comment more instead of just reading the comments because, yeah, I mean, DBB is still a fantastic community to engage in the comments. So hit me up there as well. I saw that thread. That was a very – I didn't jump in. I I just kind of lurked. But that was a very – it's very insightful exchange of ideas. I, I I like that thread. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun. I don't I don't dive in as much as I've talked about before, but that was a lot of fun. I appreciate the people who think about these 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 ideas in a very thoughtful way, but in a way that's just totally different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was a a lot of fun, and it was a very productive conversation. No, absolutely. I I enjoyed that conversation just as an observer. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, and we can we can have conversations where uh, I don't observe, I participate uh, on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Before we go, as well, uh, I want to use these like last little moments of the podcast to congratulate Motor City Hoops Bryce Simon on uh, his new podcast venture. It was an absolute pleasure to share this podcast feed with Bryce and. Uh, to you know help in any small way uh you know pr- uh, bring his content to to more people and uh i absolutely can't wait for the new venture he has uh with amari sankofa you should check out that podcast um, i believe it's initial episode uh like they have a pilot episode that's available right now you can go like check the feed and everything but i believe the initial episode will be up on tuesday i will be listening to that i hope you do uh, as well so Congrats to Bryce, one of the best dudes on Pistons Twitter, Pistons Twitter, just like just a good dude in general. And uh, I'm super happy for him in this new venture. Uh, With that, uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And thank you for listening. And we will talk to you all next week. See you.